you're on the Daniel Fast, how are you doing? Oh, silence. <laughs> Let's just not talk about that today. And uh, fantastic. If you've got your Bibles, just turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 16. Um, I'm going to be talking from that, but just to give you a little bit of kind of context, if you're new in today, my name's Aaron. I'm the senior minister here, which just means I get to the privilege of leading uh, a great team. Uh, I'm going to bring the Word of God to you. Our vision of the church is very simple. We're here to help people find God and follow Jesus. Uh, and we boil everything down. We do to those two simple statements. That talks about mission, and that talks about discipleship. We do that in a way of breaking that down to four areas. Uh, of Really, we just want to see lost people saved. We want to see saved people pastored. We want to see pastored people discipled. And then we want to take those disciples, and we want to send those disciples out onto a mission. That is what we're about as a church. And we're in seasons of teaching. Uh, and so in uh, October and November, we just led you as a church into how you can know God. You know, that, that foundation of lost people say, let's just get to know God ourselves. And then that second stage of seeing lost people saved or saved people pastored, finding freedom. I want to lead the church in freedom during these January and February of that. And that's what we're talking about. So the word freedom will just keep popping out at you. And I want you to read in to the Bible about what God says about freedom because it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. That's the whole purpose of why Jesus came, was that you might be free. So we just want to unpack that a little bit today, and I'm going to do that through the Word of God in the book of Deuteronomy 220, and we're going to go on a little bit of a journey. Now, just to kind of set a little bit of kind of help you imagine things, who remembers building or, uh, cultures of bacteria in the laboratory at school? Did you, did you ever do that? They gave you a Petri dish, and they gave you this little long thing with a little circle, and you could go around and you could touch anything. And you, you were there to grow the most hideous bacteria, isn't it? Some people shoved it in their mouth. You know, some people put it under their armpits, isn't it? Some people went on the door. Have you, you know, have you realized how much bacteria is on the... If you're obsessive, by the way, I do apologize. Because uh, you're just going to walk out of there going, not touching you. And, you know, and, and so basically, you put it in there and you had this Petri dish, which had agar jelly in, do you remember? And you'd, you'd do this little... And then you'd seal it up with sellotape because you didn't want to release the bacteria that you'd grown. And then you'd kind of put it in, the, in this little oven. And then you came back the next day or a few days later. And there you've got your own new culture of bacteria. Do you, do you remember that? What fun we had at school. We could grow germs. It's fantastic, isn't it? You know, we were germ growers in that. But I, I want to tell you really, because it's relevant is, because growing culture, we now use the word culture a lot. You know, and, and I want to tell you that what God was doing in the Old Testament, he was growing a new culture, a new growth. He, had a, he, he took a new Petri dish, and we now know that new Petri dish, and we call them the children of Israel. They are the people of God. He, he, he ingrained himself in there. You know, Jesus took, or God took that little thing, he put it in his own cheek cells, and he said, I'm going to make a culture that's going to have me ingrained in everything. I'm going I'm to grow myself in that people, I'm going to help people understand me through what they believe and how they live. And that's what we get from the Old Testament. And so one of the new culture I want us to go, this new environment, this point I'm about to read is the point when the, the children of Israel have gone from slavery into their own promised land, into freedom. And so this is why I've chosen it today, because it's a journey from slavery to freedom. And let me read it to you, because there is a big difference between living as a slave and living free. And they had to get used to living free. And this is, how, this is the advice that God gave to them in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is one big sermon, by the way. 
It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. It says, this is a time to celebrate. Verse 11, before the Lord your God at the designated place of worship. He would choose for his name to be honored. So celebrate with your sons and your daughters, your male and your female servants, the Levites from your towns, the foreigners, orphans, widows who live among you. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt and be careful to obey all these decrees. I love this kind of first thing. What new land, what you want to do, you want to celebrate. That's a great start, isn't it? So celebrate in the house of God, he says. You need to learn your freedom. Celebrate with those you're married with. Celebrate with your children. Celebrate with your family. Celebrate with strangers. Celebrate with the community. This whole thing of freedom, your first line is, we're just going to enjoy each other. Okay? Turn to the person next to you and give them your best smile. You know, let's just have fun in the house of God. It's a sign of living free. And then he goes on to say, you must observe the festival of shelters for seven days at the end of the harvest. After the grain has been freshed and the grapes have been pressed, this festival will be a happy time of celebrating with your sons, your daughters, your male, your female servants, and the Levites and the foreigners and the orphans and the widows from your town. For seven days, you must celebrate this festival to honor the Lord your God at the place that he chooses. For it is he who blesses you with bountiful harvest and gives you success in all of your work. This festival will be a time of great joy for all. If we are going to build a new culture of freedom, let me tell you, celebration is at the heart of that. Joy is at the heart of that. And I love this because God is saying, I want you to be productive in your freedom. To be productive, be successfully and free. There's a success to your freedom. And at the end of that year, when you get your harvest in, have a big party with everybody and say, God, we remember you are the source of our freedom. You are the source of our blessing. Church is this model where we get together on a weekly basis as a designated time of our and God's choosing to gather together to celebrate the greatness of God. You know, our faces should celebrate. Put your best celebration face on right now. It makes me preach better, by the way. (laughs) Each year, every man in Israel must celebrate these festivals. The festival of unleavened bread, the festival of harvest, the festival of shelters. I love it God teaches the Jewish people uh, about himself through, through celebration and through party. On each of these occasions, all men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he chooses, but they must not appear before the Lord without a gift for him. All must give as they are able, according to the blessings given to them by the Lord your God. And so this thing, use your freedom to be generous and acknowledge the one who freed you. I have given you, I'm going to bless you, you know, like what Claire was talking about, a car, you know, God blesses with your finances, use your food, everything that I've blessed you with, use that and be free to be generous. Why? Because I am generous to you. That's just a very simple model. And this new culture that God is building is a culture of generosity. Appoint judges and officials for yourself from each of the tribes and all of the towns that the Lord your God has given you. They must judge the people fairly. You must never twist justice, show partiality, never accept a bribe or bribe blind the eyes of the wise and corrupt the decisions of the godly. Let true justice prevail so that you may live and occupy the land that the Lord your God is given you. Do not use your freedom to oppress others. Do not twist justice. 
i.e. gossip or mistreat others or take advantage of the vulnerable. You know this is really relevant to right today. If we're going to be a free house of God, if we're going to have a culture, a new culture of freedom, this is not a church by which we find the worst trait about a person and we just circulate it about somebody. Oh, did you know that Joe came? Did you see what she was wearing on Sunday? Oh, oh my word. You know, we, we are not that sort of church. This is not a hairdresser's. <laughs> Sorry if you're a hairdresser. I'm not saying all hairdressers are like that. Particularly with the wrist that goes up and down. <laughs> it just fell out. Don't show partiality. Treat everybody the same. Don't be corrupt. Don't get paid off. Don't compromise. This culture that God is building is fantastic. Everybody is equal in this house. I love that culture of freedom that God is building on that. The right, the right. Justice means what is right. If we are a community of justice, we're going to go, what is right here? And there are some things that happen in the context of our community, in our church, and we go, well, that's not right. Let's put it right. Let's live free because God has got a plan. Now, we see this journey, not just in the Old Testament, but we see Jesus suddenly get up at the start of his ministry. He goes right straight to the same themes when he starts to build his merry band of believers. We call them disciples. And you can see it in Luke chapter 4. So now flick into the New Testament for me because you get the same pattern of what God has set in the people in, in the Old Testament. And, and Jesus sets a new culture. He's got a new Petri dish. He's got these young, kind of young men, and he's going to change the world with these 12 guys. You know, and he goes, and this is how he starts. Starts it. Verse 14 picks up the background. So Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues. He was praised by everyone. And when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath. He stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll. He found the place where this was written and said these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus is saying, this new culture guy, it's all about freedom. Now, you may not know the phrase, the time of the Lord's favor has come. If you know your Bible and you, you study that, you will know this. In another translation, it says, this is the year of Jubilee. That's what he's saying. Jubilee may not mean anything to you, but in Jewish history, it was one of those celebrations. Every seven years, they would celebrate, but every seven, seven years, 49 years, 50-year gap, they would have a mega celebration. Let me tell you what happens during that mega celebration, right? You're going to love this particularly when we talk about freedom, right? If you had a debt, anybody got a mortgage here? Put your hand up if you've got a mortgage. This is good. You're going to want this this year. If, if Jesus got it, if I set up like this, right? every land, every debt in the 50 year was restored back to the family. So if hard times had happened during that 50 year period and they had to give up land and pass it on to a neighbor or, or even to a stranger or a foreigner, you know what? In that 50th year, they got it back. That's quite cool, isn't it? Imagine getting it on Monday morning. You get a letter from your bank manager saying, this is the year of the Lord's favor. We are, we are giving this house to you. You'd be like, oh, man, praise God. Aaron's a cracking preacher. <laughs> you know what else happened? Families were reunited. 
slaves had to go back to their families. So in that culture, where things were so financially desperate that they would have to sell their children into slavery to serve another man's vision. Now, in the year of Jubilee, they came back. So when Jesus is saying, the year of the Lord's favor has come, he was saying, I am Jubilee. Also, in the 50th year, the land was left fallow. They, gave, they did that every seven years, but in 50 years, they did it too. They gave a break of the land so the land would rejuvenate and, and be restored and be renewed. Jesus is talking spiritually here. He's declaring freedom. Every debt that you owe, where you are in poverty in your life, I am declaring freedom of your life. If you have a master that you are following is a cruel and harsh master, and you are a slave to this, I am going to break over your life. I am going to lead you in freedom. Jesus is modeling a new culture of freedom. He says this in John chapter 8, verse 36. If the Son sets you free from sin, then become a true son and be unquestionably free. For those who like a traditional version of the Bible, it says, he whose Son sets free is what? Yes, I know the Bible wasn't written by Mr. Kipling. That pops in all the time, isn't it? Free indeed. I am free indeed. That's lovely, isn't it? You know, but freedom is in your origins and in your destiny. In, in the Garden of Eve, God designed Adam and Eve to live free, even without clothes. Now, you, look at, you don't want to look. By the way, you don't even imagine things like that. But they were free from every restriction in our life, in the garden of freedom. And sin took away that freedom. We talk about heaven in the Bible. The book of Revelation talks about heaven. It finishes in freedom too. The start and the end of our whole creation of origin and destiny is freedom. It's the bit in between that I'm talking right now. Because we get involved in lives when suddenly we get locked up and we think, ah, oh, maybe I'm not free in this area. Last, year, last week, uh, Rachel came in and she, she started talking about freedom with us. And I kind of thought it was really interesting what she said and, and made copious amounts of notes. And I just kind of want to remind you what she said. She was saying that freedom is not the power or right to act or speak as one wants. As a def- that's what the definition says. And it's definitely more than the other definition, which is the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. They're the two first ones you get in Google. Freedom is greater than my right to act greater than my freedom of movement, and ultimately greater than I can do or want to do. Thomas Huxley said, a man's worst difficulties begin when he's able to do what he likes. And this is a simple premise of freedom, what you need to understand. There are times of abuse that happen in our society when one person's freedom encroaches on the freedom of another. Every abuse case that we read about in the paper, when someone desires their needs override the needs of somebody else, or someone vulnerable... Someone operating their power or right to speak over somebody else. They may be free, but they're taking away the freedom of somebody else. That happens in our society. You only have to turn your news on and you look at the human trafficking and you think that just happens in poverty-torn countries. It is happening in this country. There are people who are not free. They are, are debt-bond slaves. They, they are slaves to sex trafficking. You know, and our society holds that, harbors it, hides it. And what is it? It's because I'm using my freedom, I'm free, and then I'm going to impose a, a slavery on somebody else who's got less opportunities. 
What I need is more important than what you need. That's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was setting a new path. C.S. Lewis said this, Mankind is so fallen that no man can be trusted with unchecked power over his fellows. Aristotle said that some people were only fit to be slaved. I do not contradict him, but I reject slavery because I see no man fit to be masters. It's interesting, in John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus, talking about freedom, says, I speak an eternal truth. When you sin, you are not free. You become a slave and a bondage to your sin. You read Romans chapter 7. What I want to do, Paul writing, what I want to do, I don't do. What I should do, I should be doing, I don't do. I'm struggling with this whole thing of doing right. I'm struggling to get free. This is why we need the message of Jesus, because a lot of us hold things in our life by which we become slaves to sin. Holds us back. A definition of a slave is a person who is the legal property of another and is forced to obey them or a person who is excessively dependent upon or controlled by something. There is a slave-master relationship that we're going on. That sometimes you look at things in your life and you go, hang on, who's in control here? How many of you have lost control of your emotions? Anybody? Who's lost control of their tongue? Lost control of your heart? There are all sorts of things in life that we become slaves to. And I just want to kind of pause and just kind of throw some things out and just ask the question, what are you a slave to? If if you're struggling, there's a really simple way to do this. You say, Holy Spirit, what am I a slave to by which you're asking God for that? The, 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 The tricky with that prayer is God speaks in truth. He can tell you, by the way, where you're going wrong like that. Could be money, could be greed, could be body image, could be lust, sin, fear, anxiety, hurts, hang-ups, habits, bitterness, unforgiveness, lying, rebellion, pride, anger, drugs, alcohol, sex, swearing, competitiveness, jealousy, violence, hate, Complaining, depression, judgmental, sarcasm, eating disorders, suicidal thoughts. I could write a list and list. And this happens in this room with us. We we are fallen people, often find our slaves to that. I saw an illustration, really, and it's a bit gruesome, but stick with me on that. And um, it, it tells of an Eskimo, how they kill a wolf. Um, and they, he, an Eskimo will take his knife and he'll dip it in blood uh, and then he'll put it outside and he'll freeze that and, and you get a coating of frozen blood on his knife and then he'll take it and dip it in fresh blood and keep coping and basically gets a blood popsicle on, on the end of his knife and then when he goes out to hunt a wolf he will go and stick it um, with the handle into the, the frozen ice so that the, the, the blood popsicle is sitting there and the, and the wolf will smell the blood and he'll come in and he'll start to lick the, the, the popsicle, and, he, and he'll get a taste for the blood. Now, two things will happen. While he's licking the ice, his tongue is going numb, but he can still sense the blood. So his appetite is driving to do something. Now, you know because I've told you of what hides, lies in beneath that, and he'll keep licking even till the blade is exposed, and it will slice his tongue. And the moment that happens, he likes to taste it more, but because he's numb, he doesn't realize he's licking his own death. I think that is sin. We get involved in sin in our life. Sin kills us. The wages of sin 
is death. It decrodes everything. It, it is like rust in your, the way God designed you. It breaks down relationships. It breaks down your integrity. It breaks down everything you are. Now, I, I, I say this and you know this. But there's part of you that go, Aaron, I don't want you to tell me this because I know the damage. But the reason we need to understand the power and effects of sin is because Jesus was the antidote to sin to bring us freedom. It is not the end. It just brings us to a point of realization. It's like a mouse getting caught in a mouse trap. And some of us are a little bit like this mouse here. I saw this advert. It is a cheese advert, by the way. Don't be shocked too badly. It does get better of that. So uh, a couple of things I just have to tell you. First of all, there are other cheeses available, uh, just in case uh, you think I'm sponsored by Nolan's. Uh, the second is uh, that was a CGI image. No actual animals were hurt during the filming of that video as well. <laughs> I showed that Rachel once. She said, you cannot show that in church. Uh, and uh, so it was one of those. I ro- overrode the boss on that occasion uh, and, and went with it. Yeah, largely because I, I really kind of, it brings humor to the act. I think sin is like a mousetrap. You know, but I, the, 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 I like the, the clip because actually we are not slaves to sin when we bring Jesus into the equation. Because generally Jesus bench pressed our sin. When he went to the cross, he took the weight of the world's sin on his shoulders. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Read this with me. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of of slavery. Did you notice burdened again? Okay, because we know what the burden was. We've had it before. It is for freedom. Live for freedom. Christ has set us free. If you're free, you're free indeed. I I want this whole culture of the church to go, we are a culture of free people. But if you turn to verse 13, there's a definition of freedom. Because I want you to understand what actual freedom is. And it says, beloved ones, God has called us to live a life of freedom in the Holy Spirit. Don't view this wonderful freedom as an opportunity to set up base of operations in the natural realm. Freedom means that we become so completely free of self-indulgence that we become servants of one another expressing love in all that we do. I love this definition. True freedom is when your rights are more important than my rights. When selfish indulgence gets left out of this house, left out of the people of God, and when, we, when your interests are more interested to me. Do you know what a key to a happy marriage, by the way, is not finding the right person? The key to a happy, successful marriage is being the right person. You, you know what this is like, isn't it, when there's an argument and you, you know that your partner should apologize We've all been there, yeah? And God says, you apologize. But I'm right, God. Have you noticed you can be right and lose a relationship? Because your rightness is actually wrong. There's a time when we actually say, what does that person need? Who do I need to be for you to bring the best out of the relationship? You know, if you have two people living that way, you have got a strong marriage. You have a strong relationship. If we have a church... By which we say, okay, what are your needs? What can I do to help you today? If the whole church did that, in instance, this is going to be an incredible community. From the moment, you know, and you come in the door, and if you're new, and hopefully somebody grabbed your hand, 
and shook your hand and connected with you. It is intentional because we see physical connection as needful in our community. Hopefully, somebody gave you a smile. It might have been a high five. If you get to know people, you may be into things where people just wrap their arms around you. We all need a hug. Why? Not because I need a hug. I don't need to hug you. But we need to be accepted. We need to be embraced. We need people to look out for us. If every one of us is going, I'm going to look out for you. If we're all thinking of that, this is the culture that Jesus has created. That is what biblical freedom is all about. True freedom says yes to other people and no to self. I just dream of that time. What does worship look like? If we say, God, what do you want? You know, sometimes we go, oh, you know, I don't like the worship, but they're in that church because it's not my style. I prefer more of a Jim Reeves type worship. You understand what you're saying? You know what you've said is, my needs are more important than this worship environment. Because you know, worship isn't for you. It's for God. We struggle to believe and acknowledge that we bring pleasure to God. It, 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 you know, that's a lie from the devil. He's got to, you like, God says, I love it when you worship me. I am right there when you worship me. We are released in worship. It is not about the volume. It is not about the style. It is not about the lighting gels. It's about the glory of God, which we know glory to be wow. If you just stood in there and you go, wow, God. You are incredible. Worship is about God. Church is about his people. Now, I'm just going to drop into the work context as well, because I'm sure you'll understand this. Have you ever met somebody whose mood affects the whole room? It's Monday morning tomorrow, right? Okay. This may be you, by the way, so I do apologize if this is you and you're that person whose mood does affect the room. Uh, some people have a presiding, overriding disposition that affects everything they do. Have, have you ever walked on eggshells around people? And you'd look at them and you go, oh, it's been a tough weekend. <clears throat> And you're all going across to the team and don't say anything, don't ask any questions, just keep quiet, keep it on the down low. Because, you know, whether that's pessimism, whether that's swearing, moody, angry, do you know what attitudes that we carry affect an atmosphere? They affect the freedom of an atmosphere. You can carry something, your attitude affects the room. Did you know who, you, know, you think you're hiding it, by the way. You, you, you're just kidding yourself, isn't it? How are you? I'm fine. <laughs> You carry an atmosphere. We, we carry, if it's inside, we carry it. It's like a, a cloud over us, you know, and, and we all know the office gloom, isn't it? I, I went on a cruise last year, and uh, we had a table. There's a lady who kind of, because you share your table with other people. It's so not British, but it's really great. By the way, you share this, and you get to know these people, right? There was this one lady. I won't mention her name uh, for legal reasons. But uh, she, 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 you know, we was on a cruise. We've got food as much as you like, you know, in these wonderful locations. And, and literally, you know, I felt like killing myself every time I sat and had a conversation with her because her life was so bad. Oh, it's not like the other cruisers I've been on, you know. And, and, all of this, and I'm thinking, this is great. I mean, I'll, clearly, I'm so, I don't know anything, you know, but the food's good, you know. I, I've said the company's great, but, I'll, you know, but you just carried this cloud. Oh, here she comes. You know, it's like she didn't come one night, and I was like, oh, I'm so glad she's not here. Does that make me sound a bad person? But you understand, um, attitudes affect the office atmosphere is defined 
by the moods that we carry. It's not a freedom atmosphere. But attitudes, by the way, they drive our behaviors. How, what you think about yourself drives how you act. Collective behaviors, i.e. if a group of people start to behave in the same way, we define that as the word culture. Culture, basically, in simple terms, to boil it right down, is what everybody's doing. The culture is, if we are all serving one another, if we are all loving one another, that's a culture of freedom. That's how we build this culture. In the same way that negatives affect a room, so do positives. You can walk into your office tomorrow and carry something different. You can walk into your office and carry freedom. It comes out of your spirit. Let me tell you, first of all, you are a spirit. You have a soul, and it lives in a body. Let your spirit lead this. Because if you let your soul, it's all emotional driven, how you feel about the world. And sometimes that gets a little bit permeated, but your spirit is always, yes! You walk into the office and go, I'm going to have a good day, isn't it, you know? And it's just like, you can set, you can change things, isn't it? Can, you can have a can-do attitude in work. If you are full of faith, you can bring faith to the problem that is facing your office. You can be the person who says yes. We can do this. You can be the person who brings peace when everybody's running around going, Ah, we're dead, we'll do Brexit, Oh. Or you can carry something different. You can carry a freedom attitude. So what's the culture of this church? What are we displaying? Do we live in accordance with this scripture that says if you embrace the truth, it releases more freedom into your life? Hey, do you want to jump up for me? Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2 verse 5. Jesus is saying, you know, in that if you read Philippians 2, you'll see it, how he humbly came to earth, gave up his life, died on the cross for us. The Prince of Glory, the King of Kings. He knew what freedom was. We say he gave up. He didn't give up anything because he knew his freedom. He just came to share it with us. He realized that platforms and layers and hierarchies and tiers They're not the way for freedom. True freedom is when I serve you. True freedom is when you see I have needs. And we all serve. That's a community. That's a new culture. That's a new petrol dish that Jesus came to bring. Let's build a new culture in the church, shall we? Of freedom. Free worship, where it's all about God. Free service, where we're all about what are your needs? When you see somebody, look into their eyes. You'll know if they're hurting. You'll know if they're low. You'll know what they're carrying. Put your arm around them and say, I'm here. Freedom says, I will pray for you. Freedom says, I will have a coffee with you. Freedom says, I am with you. I will shoulder this with you together. You are not alone. That's what freedom says. You are free to be yourself. You are free to lead others I understand this, that freedom is both a step, it is a journey, and it's a destination. We need to come to points in our lives when we see we need to step away the sin that easily ensnares us. We need to run with endurance. And I know I'm speaking to you, and I know I'm speaking the truth, and I know it's getting through, 
But the one thing I can't do is draw a response for you because that is your freedom. You can choose to be a slave and trapped under the mousetrap, or you can take that mousetrap with the strength that comes in Jesus Christ and you can bench press that thing. Seriously, whatever it is, there is freedom in Christ Jesus. That journey of freedom means there are people sat next to you who will help you on that journey. You may have a little bit of confidence in the person you've come with or somebody else in this church. Can we have a coffee? Could I talk this through with you? It's one thing I do know. It's great to acknowledge God. I need help in this area. But you know what's greater is when you take somebody living in freedom and you share. Because it's better to go to a free person than somebody who's also a slave to the same thing. I go to the gym, by the way, and um, I do bench presses. I'm really poor on upper body strength. It's got better. There's a time, if you know what a bench press is, when you put slightly too much weight on than you can actually physically carry. And what happens is your neck gets trapped under it. It's the most embarrassing thing that happens in a gym. You've, you've... But you know what you have to do? You can't bench press yourself out of that on your own strength. You have to call for help. <laughs> takes, takes real humility, by the way. Your pride just goes out the window as your legs just kick you and you, you try to breathe and you just go, help! You try it in your best manliest voice. You try it in a combo. Could you just help me please? But uh, we all know what's happening and somebody just comes in and just goes, I'm just going to help you. And he just lifts it off you. Sin is too heavy for you to carry. So ask for help. When you ask for help, you, you invite someone to that issue and they go, I will walk with you on that journey. Do not go to someone when they say, would you help me? Go, oh, you're struggling with that. Oh my God. You wait till I tell my daughter. That is not freedom in this house. Freedom is I will take you to Jesus and I will carry you there myself. I had a friend who was really struggling and he was way away from God. And I pursued him to come to a meeting and he came in and he had his back against that wall and he was crying and he was fear-ridden because he felt he was a failure. He thought there was no way back. And the preacher at the front that day said, come down and give your life to God and deal with this issue. And he said, I cannot do this. And I said, I went up to him and I said this, this is the deal. If you do not go down there, I will pick you on my shoulders. I will carry you down myself. Came down. He recommitted his life to Jesus. He's now leading a significant church in the north of England. You ever wonder what happens in those moments? All I'm here to do is to carry you to Jesus. Finally, freedom is a destination. I laughed um, during the weekend. Rachel Hickson said there's two types of people. You're either Eeyore or you're Tigger. She's called it the Eeyore anointing or with Tigger. She's obviously Pentecostal, spirit-filled. You understand? You can come into church, you can carry it all and go, oh, it's oh, never going to work. I've been doing this for years, no change. Or you can be Tigger and go, I believe in the one who can set me free. Can we all stand? Close your eyes, just really honestly before God, just put your hands out before Him. I just want you to connect with God. This is not a big open time of confession, so it's just you and God. Is there anything in your life that you're not free? And if you is, I want you to imagine just placing it in your left hand. I 
And just hold it there, and it's a heavy weight, and it's something you may have had for years. It might be painful, and you might be embarrassed. All I want you to do is just take it with your right hand, almost with your imagination, and just lift it to God. Say, God, I'm giving that you. And just hold it right now before God, whatever that issue is. I'm holding this issue of shame, guilt. Put it before your sickness. Whatever it is you're struggling with, you're not a slave to. And I'm going to pray a prayer. In the name of Jesus Christ, be free. And I want you to imagine that just going up to heaven. Bring your arms back down and say, wow. Leave it there with God. Stand, do you want to come up? Father God, help us to build a freedom culture in this church. Freedom to serve others. Freedom to love one another. Freedom for our own self-indulgence that we walk away from ourselves. But we walk into this new culture, this new kingdom. Loving you. May us take this freedom into our office this week. Into our homes, our streets. May us look for opportunities. Maybe we freedom carriers. That our attitudes would be that of freedom. And that others might see our freedom. Be attracted to it and that they might find.